is In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Oh, I love Fat Guy Friday. Just rock it, Randy Bachman. You know, you ain't seen nothing yet. I took what I can get. That's like when I go to the Golden Corral, man. Love it. Golden Corral Buffet. Good place to go. All right. So we were talking in the first hour, talking about the importance of Cam Sutton come along when Ninja Jacob told me all about the fact that DK Metcalf didn't practice yesterday because he got a hoofer. You know, the one first thing I think in my mind is, man, oh, man, when uh, if, if DK is out there, you find out which foot. Oh, I'm sorry. I stepped on the wrong foot. Didn't mean that. Sorry to that, bud. But, ex- <laughs> you know, back in the day, those things were important to us. Uh, scouting reports, shall we say. All right, but you got Cam Sutton. He's back. We're going to need him. The other guy that I'm excited about possibly being back would be Devin Bush. You know, yet another groin-demic victim. Uh, you know, he left the Denver game a little early there, but he checked in with two full participa- participation days this week. And right now, Devin Bush, he's shown that ability to get home on a couple of sacrations while blitzing. You know, the thing about it is when you're lacking some guys up front, like the Steph to it, the two, the one plus one of Steph to it and Cam Hayward, those two together, they create that uh, third little extra. I, I think of it as one plus one equals three because the two of them I like that together. Math. Yeah, you like that? Okay, you like that math? Well, that's that's the kind of math that I enjoy, you know, because if you get like for instance, if you get somewhere where you go to get your ice cream, Jacob, mm-hmm. and you know somebody gives big scoops. So you just say, I got two scoops, but it's really the equal of three. But you don't feel guilty because you didn't say three. You said, oh, I'll just take two. See, that's that's great math. That's, that that's, that's the stuff. <laughs> oh, you know what? I love that. But here, think about this. You know, Devin Bush, we've not seen what this young guy is fully capable of. You know, I mean, he's had, of course, the, the injury issues. We've seen... Um, you know, uh, we've seen him in sp- sporadic spurts. Uh, he's got the knee coming off that knee from last year, and he's had the, the groin issues. And it seems just when he starts to find some of that balance, Jacob, um, he's dealing with another injury issue. And it's, it's unfortunate because this kid is so talented. No, he absolutely is. And you kind of remember from last year, Wolf, Right in that Cleveland game where he went down with a season-ending injury, that was the game where people were saying, look at Devin Bush. He, 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 he is really exploding. It, it took a couple of games for him to get going, but now here we are in week five, and he's really amping it up. It was just unfortunate. It came at a time where it was right before his season-ending injury. People were kind of saying the same thing about this season, where the first – two or three weeks you weren't hearing his name and when you were it was when he was being exploited in the pass coverage game but now he's got back-to-back sacks now he's getting more and more involved in the run stop now I'm starting to think that okay maybe this is something that Devin Bush does like Max pointed Max has pointed out in the past where it's going to take him a couple of weeks to get going and once you once you reach that five-game, six-week stretch to start the season, he's fully back. I mean, and let's not forget, as you pointed out, he had to deal with the season-ending injury from a year ago, rehabilitating that, getting back into football shape, getting back to the speed of real football 
as you said, talking about Geno Smith, who hadn't started a game since 2017. It takes its toll when you spend that much time away from the game, as Devin Bush was forced to do. So I'm liking the trajectory that we've seen from Devin Bush these past two weeks. I am too. I've just it bothered me that you know the growing demic thing is just it makes yeah, you scratch just, your head. I don't, I don't. I don't get it. it, it it's just yeah. Like, it happens. It, it's just it's it, weird how it's hitting this team so hard so early on. Yes. Yeah. And there's no doubt about it. But you know, I've seen. Uh, I've played on teams. I remember in '84, 1984, we had what we called the purge of '84 in training camp. It was the most unmerciful mm. Chuck Knoll camp I was ever ever in. I mean, it was just, you know, you, it was one of those camps where you saw people disappear in the night, you know, you come down for breakfast in the morning and then you go to your meetings and, and you're looking around going, eh, it seems like we got less guys than we had yesterday in this meeting room. You know what I mean? That's the way it was. Guys would like just vomitos. They'd just leave, you know, in the middle of the night, throw stuff in their car, drive away. Uh, you know, and, 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 and I remember, um, we used to have a saying, what's the worst thing they can do? And then, then somebody would chime and say, they can keep you <laughs> instead of cutting you. <laughs> they can keep you. This is just the worst thing they can do. suffer more through it, right? Exactly. You're just suffering. You know, I mean, that's what it was all about. So during that camp, one of the things I remember, we had a lot of hammy issues. It rained a lot. Uh, there was some slippage on the fields. The fields weren't all that great. Not like they are the manicured fields that you have of today. Um so there was there was problems and issues back then, but you know there's really you, you can't really point at something and go well that's the reason why or mm-hmm. they're overstretching or they're understretching or they're not warming up properly. You know it's just one of those things that um, it occurs from time to time, and you'll find that. Yeah, I mean, I just it's kind of frustrating when you think back to last season, and I, and I hate to to recall last season so frequently here, but. When you lose Devin Bush, you thought, okay, we still have 10 other starters of which we were comfortable going with to begin the season. We think that can be enough to keep things afloat. And then you lost Bud Dupree in addition to Devin Bush. Right. Now you knew after week two you were without Tyson Alualu. And to start the season, you were also without Stefan Tuitt. Now we know there's some semblance of a timetable for Tua to come back, we saw him in practice uh, earlier this week. We know he's out there getting back into shape with the team. We just don't know exactly when he's coming back. But, yeah, it's it's this – It's even though it's, it's odd how the groin has been taking its toll on the team as a whole, it's frustrating because you've already lost your one guy for the year. When you start to lose more than one, that's when things start to slip through your fingers and you say – it's 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 gonna be tough to really stop stop the leaking or or, or stop you know uh, to to stop things from getting from bad to even worse. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. Look, you know, you mentioned him, and we might as well talk about him a little bit too. But the man who's there but not there—that's step to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know that this is. It's, it's a curious thing. Uh, I've, I've never seen any situation quite like this. I wish there was a little more uh, info as to what's going on and what he's facing behind the scenes. I understand about his brother and the, and the loss to the family. That's, that's a ginormous thing, and everybody handles grief like that in their own way. You know what I mean? Yes, no doubt about it. But, you know, he's such a, a huge 
part of, of what this defense could have been. You know, you think about his ability to rush the passer with his extraordinary quickness. I mean, if you ever watch this guy, one of the things that I always appreciated was his ability to play that three technique and to be able to go from an outside shoulder of the guard to inside move so very quickly, crossing the face of a guy or coming around as a trailer on a twist. His ability to come down the line after locking out. You know, I mean, there, he's got some great capabilities in his defensive toolkit that make him really an extraordinary performer. And he was paid like an extraordinary performer. And again, with Cam Hayward as being one of the guys, and, and I don't think anybody gets double teamed as much as Big Cam. You know what no, I mean? No Cam one takes does. on a lot of heat. Especially this year when he's without both of his partners and Tyson right. and Stefan to it. All the intent. No one's going to say, well, I, I think Isaiah Bugs is going to cause some problems for us. We got to pay some extra attention to him. No one's saying that. Everyone knows that Cam Hayward is the guy. So, yeah, I mean, it yes. is absolutely fair to say that Cam Hayward has been drawing more double coverage or, or triple coverage than any other yeah. defensive lineman. <laughs> you know, I laugh because I've seen him actually triple team. They blew a uh, pickup scheme at the line of scrimmage. Matter of fact, it might have been on the Devin Bush, one of those blitzes. But regardless of when it was, um, they literally had – no, it was, it was another one. They literally had a triple team. On, with the center and two guards, and you know that's a that that that's a screw up. I mean, back in the day, I can remember we played Cleveland, mm -hmm. and uh, Terry Bradshaw actually called a toss three. What they would do is we'd be in the huddle back in the day, and you'd say you call the play twice. Mike Webster would leave to go to line of scrimmage after the first call, and then on the uh, second call, the rest of the team would go up to the line of scrimmage. So Terry called the play one way and then called it the other way after Mike had left. And there was nobody at first heard it. And then as we're going to the line of scrimmage, we realized there was a screw up. We're trying to ask. And nobody was quite sure the, the literal, what actually happened was me, Steve Corson and, and Mike Webster came off on poor Bobby Golick, the nose tackle, who was then of the, of the, the nose tackle of the Browns. We triple teamed him and we picked them up and carried them back. Like, I don't know, eight yards, like a mosh pit you know, and oh, slammed him on his back. Now, the problem was that neither Steve nor I pulled or came off on the backside backer because we thought we had uh, the play, such as it was called. We both thought it was coming our way. So we literally triple team poor Bobby Golick, slamming him on his back. When all he's laying there, he looked up afterwards and goes, you guys are idiots. Huh. <laughs> he goes, what, what happened? And, and Mike Webster said, sorry, Bobby. He says, we, what we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> and the problem was we got hit for like a, a one-yard gain because Franco carried the ball, and nobody came off on the inside linebackers mm -hmm. who were like Tommy Cousineau and, and somebody else. I can't remember who it was, but it was hilarious now in the rearview mirror, I should say. But at the moment, it wasn't a good idea, and certainly – I can understand Cam could get frustrated if being triple teamed. But that's why a guy like Steph Tewitt is so very important because one of the things, as I said, his ability in close quarter quicks for being such a massive man. Remember, this guy's like 6'6 and 320 pounds, and he's so very quick using that size and ability to take on double teams, split double teams, hold the point of attack, to squeeze from the backside in his run gap fits. All those things complement the great work that Cam Hayward does in the similar fashion. And when you have those two guys together, they are so very complementary, and neither 
you know, run defense or pass uh, pass rushing. And one of the things that you'll see, if you know anything about Johnny Mitchell, who's he's no longer the defensive line coach, he's the assistant head coach, but he was a one man Paris Island. You know, I mean, he would take a guy when Are Steph Stewart first Johnny came to the Mitchell Steelers. Or Joni Mitchell, because I'm very familiar, no. familiar with Joni Mitchell. <laughs> Johnny Mitchell. John Mitchell, who's a great NFL assistant coach. If there was a Hall of Fame of assistant coaches, John Mitchell would be in it, I tell you. I'm now, pretty Carl sure Dunbar, Joni Mitchell's in a Hall of Fame of her own, and one in <laughs> Cleveland, right? You would never mistake John Mitchell and Joni Mitchell side by side. <laughs> Let me tell you something. There's a huge size differential. Now, I don't think John, I don't think Mitch can sing at all, but we know Joni can. But I will say this. You know, the thing is that Carl Dunbar, who's now the defensive line coach, has done a great job of bringing on some of the young guys. But the one thing about John Mitchell that, that you always remember was his guys always ran to the ball. You know, that's something that they got to learn that becomes embedded in them. I remember Cam Hayward coming here in the beginning. He didn't, you know, he wasn't always, you know, practicing that run to the ball thing. He does and has been doing it for a long time now, leading the way. And Steph Tuitt was one of those guys – kind of late to the game, like you got to run to the ball. You always run to the ball. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things that they do so very well because despite it being so big and quick, they were also conditioned so well that you got these twin towers on the inside who did so much in, in destroying offensive lines, always capable of running to the sidelines, running to the numbers, running to the hash marks, whatever, wherever the ball was at. And so that's one of the hallmarks of a John Mitchell defensive line that Carl Dunbar now is in charge of and getting those guys doing it. And that's one of the things I always, in my mind, like going, Gadzooks, what we've missed with without Steph to it, without, you know, Devin Bush when we lost him last year, you know, without Bud Dupree, the, the great defensive work that could have been done. But, you know, it's one of those things, that it is what it is, and you got to move forward from there. I will say this, that at least in the, with, with in, in, in the, Missing place of, of Steph Tuitt. You know, Chris Wormley has come along, done some good things. We talked about Hank Mondo. You know, we talk about Isaiah Bugs and, and Carlos Davis hopefully can jump in and give us some reps. But, man, I look forward to Steph Tuitt coming because he is truly one of my favorite players. Absolutely. I mean, Tom and I had said in one of our uh, shows when we were in training camp, we did a little special segment about – Players we expect on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball to make their first Pro Bowl. And unbeknownst to me, I was I was looking at some guys deeper down the roster, like maybe James Pierre steps up or Cam Sutton. Meanwhile, Tom goes, I think it's Stefan Tuitt. I go, you're telling me Stefan Tuitt hasn't made a Pro Bowl yet? This guy is year in, year out. When he's healthy, one of the best defensive linemen in football. And... I, I couldn't believe it. And I said, well, let me throw away my picks because there's nothing stopping me from telling you that Stefan Tuitt is going to make that Pro Bowl. That was before we we knew what he was dealing with at the time with his family. Right. And that was before we knew that he wasn't going to be ready to start the season. And now it's been six weeks and he hasn't played a single game. So maybe now with that in mind, it's not going to be enough to get him to the Pro Bowl level. But as soon as he comes back, Wolf, I expect this guy to 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 not be bogged down by the fact that he missed this much time. Stefan Tuitt is a guy who can come back from any amount of time missed and get back to that what I always expect to be a Pro Bowl level. It's just weird that he hasn't right. made one yet. 
Yeah, it's it's really it, it, you sit back and you go, really? Just like you said, that's he what I did. I I, but... ta- I I got my piece of paper and I <laughs> I threw it away because I thought there was no way that Stephon Tuitt hadn't made a Pro Bowl yet. I mean, we remember in 2019 before he went down for the season, six games in, everyone was saying, "Well, the team MVP, the the defensive player of the year right now in the Steelers is easily Stephon Tuitt." It was just right. so unfortunate. His best year of his career had to be ended so early. You know, the thing about it is he's truly one of those guys that, you know, it can be said when he's at his peak, he is a, a he's heartbreaker a and a widow maker. Yes. yes, he is one of those guys who is a force to be reckoned with. And you have to take an accountability with him because here you go. Who, who do you pick to, to double team? I mean, you can only do so much and you've got Steph to it. And you got Cam Hayward. That's a pick-your-poison type of affair. And then, and then are you going to forget the guy on the edge? You're going to forget number 90, T.J. Watt? Right, T.J. Watt. So, again, there's such a symbiotic relationship between the different people, the different elements that are involved in the pass rush and the back end and coverage in overall defensive work, not to mention that that occurs in just side-by-side-by-side by side by side with a Watt, mm-hmm. a Hayward, a Tuitt. You just, know, and Highsmith, too. Just imagine the field day this defense could have against this very depleted Seattle offense if Stefan Tua was healthy. Oh, my heavens, yes. I Absolutely. mean, you're looking at sack numbers upwards of seven or eight. You think you could have an opportunity like that with the people that are capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they've got capable people. You know, if you look at that offensive line, they've already given up 13 sacks with a highly mobile quarterback in Russell Wilson. Yeah, if they had a normal, you know, Tom Brady or Mac Jones, someone who just sits in the pocket, that guy is going down an extra five or six times because he's incapable of escaping the the pass rush that gets past the O-line. No question. I mean, Dwayne Brown has been a a good, excellent offensive lineman for years, but he's older. He gave up a couple of sacks last week. You know, you look at Damian Lewis and Kyle Fuller, Gabe Jackson. Gabe Jackson's a, a, a good ball player. But these guys, they're all, you know, some of them look like uh, 10 pounds of potatoes in a five-pound sack. You know, they're overstretching their jerseys and their, their pants a little bit there. You know, um, they're, they're huge guys. I mean, Brandon Shell, the right tackle is 324. Gabe Jackson's easily three. He's list if he's listed at three thirty five, you know he's got to be three fifty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's just a big beef eater. But they're all three twenty or better easily, and certainly, you know the pass rush that with with guys that are fully capable of getting off in a Heinz Field loud atmosphere with a Heinz Field rowdy crowd can create a lot of problems for any quarterback, especially one who has not been there in a while. Look, why don't we take a break and we'll come back with more. Uh, you're in the locker room. Wolf starts in the Ninjas, but it's really down to just me and the Ninjas right here on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. Well, Russell Wilson's NFL streak stops at just short of buck 50. 
150 straight games. Geno Smith, of course, is going to be in the starting lineup, and uh, we remember him from his West Virginia days. And His last NFL start was in 2017, and his last regular playing days where he was playing week in and week out was 2013. But last week, uh, Smith replaced uh, Russ Wilson versus the Rams. He did lead him on two scoring drives. This guy's still capable. Look, um, you know, I'm one of those guys I never – I don't ever believe in overlooking an opponent, despite the fact that maybe, you know, if you don't have Russ Wilson, you got a Geno Smith and he's not playing. You can play all those. I prefer to think of Geno as a lethal weapon and go from there, you know, because you don't want to be caught um, kind of lowering the ampage in your head, the mental RPMs. You always want to make sure, you know, for instance, I would play in a, a, against a defensive lineman back in the day who maybe, um, was was just added to the roster of some doesn't doesn't matter if the guy was just a rookie if he had you know you just you think of him in the highest manner that you possibly can and have the greatest respect and play out of that basis and that's how you think of things at least I did in my mind so you got to get a Geno Smith who he's still mobile he's not Russell Wilson no but who is I mean there's not that many guys that are Russell Wilson athletic We've seen Russell Wilson do some incredible things, make some incredible throws, get out on the perimeter and be able to take uh, chicken chicken doo-doo and make chicken salad out of it. You know what I mean? Because he's just that capable and that type of guy. Geno Smith is not the same sort of capabilities as as Russell Wilson, but nevertheless, and uh, Jacob, if, if, if you know what I'm talking about, he's, uh, he's still a guy that I think, defensively speaking, and, and for – uh, 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 butts, you know, Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, uh, you might have to do some educated type of guessing, but it's something you've got to be on your toes on because you really don't know what you're running into with Geno Smith in this offense. No, you really don't. And Dale Lawley brought up a really good point uh, when he was doing the drive. He was asking Mike Tomlin uh, in the press conference, and he touched about it on the drive later in the week, saying, how do you prepare for Geno Smith? What do you look at? Do you look at the, mm. the five minutes that he was out on the field uh, for Seattle this past week? Do you look all the way back to 2017 when he was last starting? Do you look at the preseason when he was playing with all the backups? I mean, there's really no good way to go about preparing for a guy like this who has had such little exposure over the last couple of years. I mean, basically since 2017, so that's four years, he's – He's old. This is his second game starting in four years. So, how do you prepare for someone like that, of which you've seen so little? That's a great question. Did he have an answer for it? Uh, I, 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 uh, <laughs> come on, because that's the question. I, I know, I know I, the question. I, I, I don't know the answer. <laughs> yeah, we only got questions, and and that's the fact. I mean, you you. That's and that's what I'm talking about with Keith Butler. He's got to do some educated, and I love to throw in the dad gum educated type educated. stuff. Educated. I don't. I don't know what yes. words you're saying. Educated. Is that a made up word? I only know educated. <laughs> so you think about it. He's got to do some, you know, guessing about what he's going to be facing. But here's the thing: you've got Geno Smith because he's a similar, in like fashion to a Russell Wilson. No, he's not going to make the plays like Russell Wilson, but you still want to always in your backups, you, you like to have guys that fit your system. 
You don't want to have to make a system fit the guy in your backup. You want somebody that can come in and do relatively the same sort of thing as you're doing. And I, I look at Geno Smith. He's got a big arm. I mean, he's still very capable of launching that rock. Uh, he's still capable of running with the ball. And I think that it's going to behoove the Steelers. You know, he's not going to have uh, the uh, zig and the zags, as Myron would say, uh, such as um, a Russ Wilson, but he's still capable of running for the first down. And, you know, guys that don't play a lot, one of your first things that if they are run capable, one of the things, best ways to settle the nerves down is to run the first few opportunities that you got from the pocket to kind of get you in the flow of things. You take a little bit of bang, maybe a, a little hit, gets you kind of uh, knocks the butterflies out and gets some of the rust knocked loose off of you. So you got to be aware early on that Geno Smith in a hostile environment where he might be limited in what he can call at the line of scrimmage or change the play, his audibleizing, that he's going to probably um, take off if he has the opportunity to run and use his legs more so early on than anything else. Absolutely. It's just, it's like, you know how you say so-and-so is this person 2.0? Well, the way I put it right. on my show was Geno Smith is like the 0.5 version of Russell Wilson, right? He I can't is, do fractions, okay? So is that one or That's about, one come on, Wolf. That's about one. as easy of a fraction as you can get. 0.5, half, half. Come on, man. You, I hear you. That, but that's what he is, right? He is the lesser version. He is the less advanced version of Russell Wilson. We knew he could do it when he was in college. However, he didn't seem to be able to translate that game onto the pro level, and that's why he's been a backup. I think he was drafted by the Jets, and unfortunately yep. for him, I mean, maybe that's where he was doomed from the start is because – it doesn't seem that many players are – and it's it's unfortunate, but it doesn't seem that many players drafted by the Jets really find success early on in their careers. I mean, look at Sam Darnold. He's on a Panthers team right now that's 3-2. and two. They they are doing better than they have in the past with since Cam Newton has, has moved on or, or has left. So right. you have to wonder yeah. if maybe that was the plague that started it all, but – I don't think so because he moved on from the Jets after that and he still wasn't able to get a starting roster spot anywhere. And now he's been the backup in Seattle for quite some time, just sitting behind Russell Wilson, who was, you said, Wolf, had up until this past week started every single game of his career, which is That's remarkable. Just unbelievable. 100 and yes. what, 150 games to start his career. That is truly yep. an accomplishment, but. The injury bug is is no is no stranger to to every man who takes the field in in this game who plays this game and it just happened to finally catch up to Russell Wilson this week and now it's up to Geno Smith but even though they have somewhat of a similar skill set I don't think it's going to be enough for Seattle to 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 say that you can slot you can take out Russell Wilson and slide Geno Smith in and it's really the same guy I think. Yes, there are similarities, but it's still not going to be enough of a similarity that you can proceed as if nothing has changed. Right. You know, again, you make some good points there. And one of the things I will say is, again, the discipline rush lanes. You know, you're, you're going to want to keep your eyes on the quarterback. You want to make sure that you run to his upfield shoulder on the outside so that you can keep him bracketed nicely 
and then you got the big push from the inside. Hopefully, I would think for a guy that, again, you're coming into Heinz Field, Mm -hmm. it's going to be loud, it's going to be hostile, you're going to be at a disadvantage as far as communicating, so your audibleizing and all those sorts of things are going to be probably minimized. Then you've got to, um, you know, know that you've got you've got to be in the the rhythm of the offense, you know, with the clock running stuff like that. That doesn't necessarily happen in practice. So being able to operate under these conditions is going to be somewhat problematic for him. And I would think um, part of that would be like late shifting the defensive fronts, you know, or sugaring the coverages. You know, it, it's a lot harder to sugar a coverage against Russell Wilson. It's a lot harder to stupefy a Russell Wilson with some late shifts uh, at the line of scrimmage than it would be a Geno Smith who, you know, I'm sure he recognizes the fronts and, and can recognize things, but the process of undergoing with a, with a clock ticking in your head uh, in between plays, getting the playoff, having a, a multitude of decisions to make in, in a very short period of time, I think that you've got to really amp that up and create more chaos for him. And I think that's exactly what a Sunday night crowd in Pittsburgh can do. Be loud, be proud, come there ready to scream your head off all night long. But make things difficult for the opposition. You have an opportunity, that being the Pittsburgh fans, Steelers Nation, to be able to really participate this game much more so than if it was Russ Wilson. Because no matter what you do against a guy of the quality of a Russ Wilson, he's still Russ Wilson. He's still a guy that's been through so much of that already and has the answer to a lot of the the chaos that goes on there with whatever code words or hand signs, whatever. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure the same process for Geno. But look at it. Think about it. If, you, if you're not doing this on a regular basis since 017, if your only time that you get on the clock and have, uh, you know, that sort of pressure situation is in the preseason, uh, this is an opportunity for Steelers Nation to come out and make things miserable for Geno Smith. Absolutely. And not it's not just Geno Smith. I mean, look at the guys around him. I mean, we know that he's going to be without his starting running back. It's up in the right. air if he's going to have DK Metcalf available to him. But so very interesting. I'm glad you brought that point out, man. I mean, if you don't have if you're Geno Smith and you don't have DK Metcalf available to you, yeah, you have you got a guy like Willie Sneed as a backup receiver to play alongside Tyler Lockett. But let's not forget the one touchdown pass that uh, DK Metcalf had last week was to DK Metcalf, right. or that Geno Smith had right. last week was to DK Metcalf. So I, I'm not saying because of that he's he's going to be more comfortable throwing him the ball at all times, but at least that was the guy he targeted last week. We don't know what the relationship is this week with with Tyler Lockett, and it, it is not going to be easy just getting the ball to Tyler Lockett if that's the only legitimate weapon you have available to you. Right. I mean, he doesn't even throw that much through his tight ends. I mean, Will Disley has uh, eight catches for 110 yards total. Uh, Tyler Lockett and Freddie Swain are the uh, Freddie the Swain. Other two I, guys. I said Willie Sneed. That's my bad. Oh, did you say that? Oh, yeah, Freddie Swain. It's same thing, all right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a guy that has a funny-sounding name. Number three. I mean, there's really nothing yeah. to it. Exactly so. So I look at this, and I, and I think to myself, all right, if I'm looking at this Seattle team, you want to take away the, the Metcalf. If the Metcalf is already gone, you know, then you've got Tyler Lockett. Um, I, I'm not scared of uh, Alex Collins, who was a former Ravenite. 
one of the Ravens. Right. But, you know, the, now to flip it over and take a look at their defense there. I mean, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, those two guys to me are the top performers there. Bobby Wagner is a serious player. He's an excellent middle linebacker. Um, but he's not as big as a downhill banger as I, as I remember him in his youthful days. Mm-hmm. He's still, you know, he, he can play with his head. He's still capable of doing the things that he needs to do. But he's not the guy that I, I, I think of as in terms of, uh, of being a real downhill banger. I think you can run the ball on these guys. I believe that this offensive line, Jacob, now with an opportunity to come up and uh, be confident in running the ball, I think that's going to – I don't know. I, it, it's kind of like um, our, we got a taste of, of playing bully ball last week. You know, Kendrick Green, I got a taste of, of uh, coming off and, and nailing some people. Uh, Danny Moore, you know, this is what it felt like to be able to do it as a good offensive line. That's their first experience. I think they all, they're craving more. They want more of it, not to mention that Najee Harris is the guy that wants it more probably than any of them. But certainly I think that's something they take the next step forward on. Yeah, I think, you know, on a team – that has as many options as the Steelers have this year. The the one problem you always face is that there's only one ball. And luckily for the Steelers, <laughs> they actually have an offense now where I think they're capable of spreading that ball around and, and every option they have is is capable of getting them yardage significant yardage or a touchdown. Whereas in Seattle, they did have that problem with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and Chris Carson with Russell Wilson throwing the ball. However, take three of those out of the equation. You're left with just one guy. It's, it's not going to be an easy day for them moving the ball down the field for Seattle. Absolutely. You are correct, sir. And you know what? We're going to come back with some more as we wrap it up in the locker room. You got the ninjas and me right here coming back at you more after this ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. In the Locker Room with Wolf and Starks, presented by your neighborhood Ford store on ESPN Pittsburgh and Steelers Nation Radio. One of the things you can be sure of, come this Sunday night, there's going to be a lot of noise, a lot of action, and a lot of excitement. And I, for one, am looking forward to it. And one of the things I think, defensively speaking, you look at the Seattle team, they've given up more yardage than anybody else. They have not been able to stop the run. This is something the Steelers can use to their advantage. And I hope, I really hope, Jacob, that they will continue to use a two-tight end, uh, otherwise known as a 12 personnel, or even 22 with two backs, two tight ends, or a 13 personnel because they are so predominant in their 11 personnel with the one back, one tight end, and three wides. Um, I think the change in formations gives them an opportunity to do some things that can, number one, relieve the pressure of some of the hamstrings, groin injuries of the wide receivers, cut down on some of their repetitions. 
but it also is is conducive to going after this Seattle front end, which I think is is vulnerable to the run. Extremely vulnerable, Wolf. Uh, as we started the show, I'll, I'll harp back on this. Last week, Najee Harris had his breakout game, but I think this is his statement game because you really have no excuse. This is the worst defense, if not bottom two, overall against the pass, against the rush. There is no saving grace for this defense, and this really should be the spotlight game for Najee Harris. We are, everyone knows who Ben Roethlisberger is. At this point, most people know who Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson are. It's time to put Najee Harris on the map, and I think it would be very wasteful to go up against the Seahawks and not allow Najee Harris to have a big game, not get another 25-plus carries. I know you said earlier you'd rather it be the snap count go 50-50 between the pass and the run, but against this Seattle de- Seattle defense, I think the best way to win this game, to put it away early, is to pound the ball and run the clock down as efficiently as you can so that you give their offense, even though it's already playing with several limbs tied behind its back, really no chance to take the field and have any any good amount of time available to them. Well, your genius, yeah, your geniusness is coming through, young man, mm. because one of the things that you characterize is the importance of getting out with a lead. When you get out with a lead, you can do those things, run the ball, and you can run the ball more. Yes, I do like more of a balanced attack only because uh, it does create that uncertainty for the defense. But certainly, if you are pounding the rock so much so that on 21 of 26 first down plays, such as the Steelers had, you you feel comfortable running the ball, that tells you something. You're you're getting an incredible amount of success on that first down. And, the, and and if you can continue to do that, that tells me one thing. You're just winning. You're winning on first down. Mm-hmm. You're winning because you're getting four yards or more. Or you're winning because you don't just simply put your head down and, and bury into the pile for, you know, yet another uh, half a yard or whatever. No, you you've to be able to run the ball that much on first down especially, it says that you're winning the preponderance of the time. So, yeah, that means physically you're imposing your will. So that means, yeah, you're shortening the game. All those elements come together. And I think, as you've already pointed out, um, if you've got that opportunity to do it, you've got to put the boots to them and put them away. And I think that's something this young team has to learn. Every team, Jacob, has to learn how to put away an opponent. That when you feel you've got an opponent that's wobbly, that is kind of just barely hanging on, that you're able to come through and, as a team, be able to put them away and put them out of, the, out of their misery. And I think that's one of those learned lessons in the journey of every NFL team each and every year that they have to learn. Is it any coincidence whatsoever, Wolf, that the last two weeks when the Steelers were playing with the lead, it was their two of their best showings on offense throughout the season? I mean... It wasn't as pretty against Green Bay, but certainly against Denver, you could say that was the best day for the offense. And they played with a lead from the get-go. It only took them, what, five, six plays before they had seven points on the board. And it's a completely different ballgame when you're playing with a lead. And I think if you jump out to that early lead against Seattle, it is going to be the most beneficial to you out of all three weeks just because – the earlier you put them away, the earlier you put Seattle in that hole, the li- the less likely they are to fight back against you. Yes, I mean, there's no question. You've got a backup quarterback 
who doesn't, he's not even sure, you know, of his own self and the fact mm-hmm. that he hasn't been around that playing that much. You know, I don't care what you say. You know, fighters, when they, when they have not fought for a couple of years, when they talk about ring rust. And that doesn't mean they didn't practice. That didn't mean that they didn't, you know, go into the gym and, and, and pound away in the bag and with the trainer with mitts and everything else, uh, even sparring. It's getting under the lights, lights, camera, action, where the blood is flowing and you are in the real moments when the punches are real and they have meaning behind them. And it's not two training partners that are or, uh, a guy with a training partner who knows that his partner is going to not take advantage of any real openings, but is going to, you know, tap them or hit them or whatever. But not like in two heavyweight contenders going at it, trying to knock each other out. That's a totally different game. And what you're describing to me is exactly the scenario that I hope presents itself where, you know, as you go into this game with all the lights, camera, action, and things flying and a lot of adrenaline, a lot of testosterone, and the blood and the guts that all come with all that sort of stuff, you know, the ability to go out there and grab that quick lead, which they did do in, in, in Green Bay, which they did do last week against Denver, let's hope that they can continue from what they learned in Green Bay and what they learned in Denver last week and get out fast and continue at a fast pace, playing clean ball. That's so very important. And I think they're going to be capable of doing that. I, and I think you agree with me. I, I, I don't see yeah. the Steelers playing into that trap game narrative as they've been so harshly criticized of doing so in the past. I just think there's so much tipping toward the favor of the Steelers of winning this game that it's, it's there. It would really shock me to see them lose this game. And after falling into that one and three hole to start the season, after getting the win last week against Denver, yes, you travel to Cleveland next week, and that's going to be a tough game. But the two weeks after that, you have Detroit and Chicago, both at home. Both, I think, are winnable games. At that point, once you get to the meat of the schedule, once you're in November and December where real football comes out, I think the Steelers could easily be sitting at five and four with that one loss coming against Cleveland. And that is a good position to be in if you want to fight for a playoff spot. And I think, Wolf, that out of those three games that I see the Steelers winning between Seattle, Chicago, and Detroit, I don't think it's far fetched at all, despite the lack of talent in Chicago and Detroit. How bad Seattle is currently, that game is the most winnable for you right now. There's truth in that, you know, but it's also all about producing at the moment like we, right. we've talked execution. about. And you're right. It's execution right now. One of the things that they can execute with Seattle is you take a look at them. They run these overs and unders and stuff like that. And I said the front end, a little bit vulnerable. But the guys that, that really worry me are guys like Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, mm-hmm. the two safeties. They are a painful duo. They are, they're as good as a root canal and pain-wise, both these guys. But we got to see what they can do because one thing about them, they'll bring, uh, they'll bring uh, Jamal Adams down into the box and create havoc with him. And uh, you get at that point, then you've got to take advantage of a little play action, a little bit of stuff to be able to put him back on his heels a little bit. But he, Jamal Adams and Quandre Diggs, they're good players. Okay, I think that's a wrap for us, Jake. I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you, Wolf. I I appreciate you for letting me, I guess, officially in the locker room, even though I come here every day. You are here every day, and you're just the best. Thank you, young man. I appreciate you so much. 
thank you all out there, everybody out there that tuned in. We appreciate you. You know what? It's time to go Steelers. Go get them. See you Sunday night. Lock and load. Let's go Steelers.